Hi, this is Simon Yeo. Thank you so much for subscribing to my podcast, Simon Says. I want you to know that I appreciate every one of you out there for tuning in. Now check out today's podcast. What comes to your mind when you hear the word emergency? Now I'm not talking about the day-to-day sort of situations like you punctured your car tire or there was an electricity outrage in your home, but I'm talking about national emergency. For most of us, it is a thing that we sometimes hear from our parents or grandparents. I remember when I was young, I heard stories of national emergencies from my grandparents. And their perspective was more on the implications to the day-to-day living. For them, they also experienced curfews and restrictions of movement, something which we all have experienced in recent time. And the older generation, they also experienced the rationing of supplies. So those are the memories of those who have lived through national emergency. And few actually appreciate the legal implication, especially with regards to the restriction of freedom, liberty, and basic rights as a citizen of a free nation. Is Malaysia a free nation? What sort of freedom and liberty do we desire as a collective group of people? I would suggest that as citizens of this great nation, we need to educate ourselves and be aware of the issues that could affect us in a major way. Now, this is especially true because Malaysia is now heading into a new political dynamic, especially since the change of federal government in 2018. And this has never been seen or experienced by previous generations. A very good day to all of you listeners who are tuning in to our show today. Welcome. My name is Simon Yeo and I'm your host today. Today we want to discuss about the declarations of emergency in Malaysia and especially with regards to the rule of law. When you're all reading uh, the matter, I'm talking about the emergency in the news, in the television, or you're just discussing with friends, it can look complex, it can look confusing. So allow me to break it down for all of you today. If you have been tuning to this show, you will have heard a lot about the rule of law and how our freedom and liberty have slowly been chewed away, especially after the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic in the early part of 2020. As our rights and freedom are slowly peeled away and even encroaching into what a person can do within his or her own home businesses, etc., you know, now we have things like you can't have visitors in a condo, you can't even have parties in your own house. We need to reflect and determine if this is the future that we really want to have. There is a saying, freedom and liberty are values. And these values are not natural instincts for humans. So what do I mean by that? Humans' instinct is to be taken care of because that is something that everyone instinctively wants. They want comfort. So when there is an order, when there is a restriction that comes in the package of I'm trying to take care of you, those are usually very well received. So we have seen in the name of health, people are so willing and so quick to give up their liberty. 
For that very reason, big government and socialism. Now, we talk about that in other episodes. If you're interested, you can go and tune in to some of our previous episodes. Those concepts are pretty seductive for many, and they will embrace them. Because think about this, freebies coming from the authority. Who doesn't want that? I think I will also want that. Yet, we need to remember there is no such thing as free lunch. Every empowerment of big government, every time citizens allow government to take more powers away from them, they begin to lose portions of their freedom and liberty. And it's usually very subtle, bit by bit. And this is consistently true when we study history. We look at Italy, we look at Nazi in Germany. You see, freedom and liberty is always a choice. And sometimes it can be a costly choice. Patrick Henry famously said, give me liberty or give me death. And he said that in the Second Virginia Convention in 1775. So there was a period prior to the fight for the independence in America. And these sort of discussions can be considered treasonous and punishable under the penalty of death by the British ruler at that time. So with that, let's come back to the discussions on emergency. So you all know, a national emergency was declared for a period from 11 of January 2021 to 1st of August 2021 by our kind, under the advice of our Prime Minister Mohidin. Now, interestingly, if you remember, our Prime Minister attempted to get a declaration order of emergency in October 2020. But at that time, our king said there was no such need. What has changed? Now, one of the things we need to understand from all the previous study of national emergencies in Malaysia was that they were usually related to national security issues. So another question for us to ponder is pandemic a national security issue? Now, previously, we had a few emergencies, and I can quickly come to my mind, Malaysia-Indonesia confrontation in 1964, and then, of course, the May 13 incident in 1969, which we talked about last week. And both of these are undoubtedly national security issues. Now, the power to declare emergency comes from Article 150 of the Constitution. So based on Article 150, Part 1 of the Constitution, an emergency declaration can be called when a situation is deemed to be urgent and grave. So what do we mean by that? Whereby the security or the economic life or public order in the Federation, that is Malaysia, is threatened. In short, it has to be something that ought to be used only in the most drastic sort of situation. Now, officially, the primary justification for the declaration of emergency is to deal with the pandemic. So allow me to translate what that means for you. The government is basically saying all the powers which they had, which they had exercised during the initial MCO, uh, remember in, in March 2020, so many things happened, movement restrictions, you cannot travel inter-district, you cannot travel interstate, economic restrictions, so many things are not allowed to operate. 
you know, and there was so much confusion. Closing of schools, many students, especially the younger ones, have not been to school for almost a year. What the government is trying to say is, all these powers are still not enough. So we need more power. So I just want all of us to think that for a moment. Now, the other thing, of course, about the declaration of an emergency in January 2021 is that it can be lifted if there is an independent committee that recommends the pandemic is under control. So I'm wondering, who is this independent committee? Because I've been looking around and they talk about the formations, but nobody knows who is going to be in the committee. Then, of course, additional things. Um, of course, I believe the government puts all this in to give assurance to the people. Civilian government remains in place. No military rule. Now, Malaysia's military, they had never you know, conducted a coup and took over the nation. Okay, We are not like Thailand. We are not like Myanmar. So that has never been the military culture in this land. So even previously, we, we used May 13 incident. When the emergency was called, the power was actually given to the National Operations Council, NOC, which is very similar to our National Security Council, NSC. And then other things, there will be no curfews, cabinet continues to function. But one of the interesting things is the government will actually have the power to create additional law, and we'll touch on this a bit later. Economic activities will continue subject to health protocol. But here's a big one. There will be no parliamentary or state assembly seating and no elections. So those are probably some of the biggest implications of this emergency order. Again, we'll talk about that. Then, of course, you have other things such as the government under advice can take over private businesses, private properties, if it is done in good faith. Okay, so for the next part, I want to quickly discuss what is the real purpose for this emergency. Because when the emergency was declared, immediately there was a lot of discussion, okay? So a lot of people focused on the legality of it, the process of the procedure. I remember hearing a few experts from Bar Council doing the webinar and attended it. It's very technical, so I'm not going to bore you with all the legal nitty-gritty. Now, others look at this declaration more from a policy's perspective and especially on the need for such drastic action. What can justify emergency? And I've observed politicians from both sides, those aligned with the government, those aligned with the opposition, and these two groups, they all ask very similar questions, which is, is it really necessary for us to have this emergency? Given that we already have various laws, such as Prevention and Control of Infectious Disease Act 1988 and Police Act 1967, which we have been using it for the whole year of 2020 to conduct various MCO and various iterations of that, I would say pretty successfully. And then there was this feeling that the declaration of emergency could dampen the prospect of the forthcoming investment in Malaysia, thus harming the already struggling economy of Malaysia. In fact, this was not some vague feelings, but it's actual reality as evidenced by the following. So let me give you some example. For example, 
Immediately after the declaration of the emergency, Malaysia led losses across Southeast Asia in stock exchange, where our main index declined as much as 1.6%. Then major economists began to slash the economic growth forecast for Malaysia for the rest of 2021. Ringgit, our currency, is expected to be weak throughout the whole year. Now, of course, there are some who view the emergency from a different perspective. They look at it as a positive thing because they say in terms of political stability, there will be more because basically the government cannot be changed until August 2021. But nevertheless, most experts agree that the economic outlook remains very bleak. Now, to really understand the purpose of this emergency, now let's just call this emergency 2021, okay? We have to see what additional powers were granted to the government. They were above and beyond what they already had during the early days of the pandemic. In other words, what other options, what extra legal rights, what extra bullets are now made available through the declaration of the emergency for the government that is. The first and most important one is the suspension of parliament and the ability to postpone elections until 1st of August 2021. We already talked about that. But basically, this secure the survival of Mohidin's government. What the government was trying to say is, we are doing this, we do not want to have elections because look what happened after the Sabah state elections. Now, we all remember after the state election in Sabah, the cases went out through the roof. But one cannot help but wonder who allowed protocols to be broken? Who allowed the many exemptions? There were exemptions of testing or quarantine, especially to the ruling bloc of politicians who were traveling back and forth during the election. So these are some of the issues that we think about, but we will just leave that for another time for discussion. Now, why is the suspension of parliament and elections so important? I mean, people have been doing online meeting. Can we have online parliament like in Britain, like in many, many places? Now, here's the thing, and I'm just stating the fact. It is a fact that the current government is not stable. Now, what do I mean by that? not stable in the sense that the majority vote obtained for the formation of this current government. It is very slim. We, we know that the numbers are very slim. And then this new government consists of different component parties with different interests. Everyone inside, they have to compromise a lot. There's a lot of wheeling. There's a lot of dealing. So that's just very normal for politicians, okay? Then, of course, the other thing is which I already mentioned early on, the emergency actually allowed the government to continue to create law without going through the parliament. So one of the recent examples was the increase of fines, pandemic-related offences, you know, from 1,000 to 10,000. And this has created quite an outroar, quite an outrage among the people. But again, there is a discussion for another time. Now, finally, I want to talk about looking at emergency from the perspective of the rule of law, which is basically what I want to uh, tie up with today's discussion. So right after the emergency was declared, a few days later, the emergency 
Essential Powers Ordinance 2021 was gazetted. Now, basically, that is the law which outlined the detail. So, so the detail, uh, what the government can do, what they cannot do, and it has more clarity. Now, gazette basically means it is officially adopted and then there is a evidence in the form of official printed record. So that was done on 14th of January. So it is law again. So when we look at this ordinance and looking at it from the perspective of the rule of law, I think some alarming issues were immediately raised. Okay, So we already mentioned that the parliament and other state legislature have been suspended. So all the process of making laws are essentially paused. So you can't make any law. So remember in the earlier part of the pandemic, right, in March, April 2020, uh, Parliament was not able to meet, I mean, basically because everyone was under restriction movement. But, you know, many of us were not working, many businesses were shut down, and we do not have a COVID-19 law which safeguard parties from being sued by landlords, by creditors, by customers, because you know, the economic shutdown meant most people would not be able to fulfill their legal obligations. So eventually the law came, but it was just a bit too late, okay? So there were some of the consequences when you can't have the parliament meet to discuss about the formation of the law. Then under this ordinance, the king or someone authorized by the king can take temporary possession of all property. Now, when you think about that, that is a pretty, pretty drastic provision. And this kind of provision maybe is justifiable when we have war, like actual war, or we have great natural disaster, which Malaysia is not really known for. Again, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Is COVID-19 pandemic this sort of category of event? Now, I'm not going to answer that for you, but I'm putting it out for all the listeners here, you have to decide whether it is justifiable. And then, going back to the ordinance, those authorized, and when we use the word authorized, basically they're authorized by the king, but in practicality, the king will be you know, authorizing different parties under the advice of the prime minister or the government. So, those authorized can take control of resources, they can take over your businesses, you know, and of course, the government said, okay, if I take over some of the resources, I'll pay you compensation. But another strange thing, the compensation is to be determined by those authorized. So here we begin to see some of the real problems with this sort of provision. Where are the checks and balances? And more importantly, if you are at the receiving end, let's say you have certain resources, uh, let's say you are manufacturing a certain ingredient that is very important to the government and government will be like, I need all of that and under the emergency ordinance, they can do that. The government will also determine what is a fair compensation and you can't do anything if that amount is way below your expectation. More shockingly is this, and to me personally, this is the most shocking part. The emergency ordinance provides that no actions, no legal suit, no persecution can be brought against the government if any of the actions done by the government is made in good faith. So it's like, you can't sue the government. I mean, are the courts even allowed to hear all these things? 
So we do not have any test cases on this, but just reading those provisions, you know, it can be really, really bad if it's abused, okay? Then, of course, immediately after the declaration of the emergency 2021 in 11 January, Malaysia Multimedia and Communication Commission warned it will be monitoring social media closely for misinformation and content that is offensive to race, religion, royalty. So it's like basically it sounded to me like a threat, like a warning to people not to question the legitimacy of the emergency order. And I, I just felt like it, it has a chilling effect on the freedom of speech. Now, granted, the freedom of speech, the freedom of expression in Malaysia has never been unlimited, okay? We are not allowed to defame people. We are not allowed to spread falsehood. We are not allowed to just tell lies because all these things will have legal consequences. But nevertheless, they are legitimate places for us to discuss the rule of law. I think it is fair for people to, to discuss whether a law is good or not, whether a judgment of the court is valid or not. So those are the kind of things that, you know, it is really happening and it is causing the encroachment of freedom and liberty. So let me try to wrap up what we had discussed today. I know it has been, again, a fairly technical discussion. I'm not here to bore you with all the legal detail. But let me begin by saying this. I think it is to the credit of the current government, and I give them credit when credit is due. We have not seen reckless use of the power of emergency so far. Okay. In fact, I think most people cannot even see the difference between emergency and normal MCO. If anything, the existing MCO rules seem so much more relaxed. And, you know, I'm in Clan Valley now. You know, when I go to work, when I'm out there to get the basic necessities, I just see a lot of people out there. It's like the economy is like, you know, the government is trying to encourage the economy. So I give them credit for this. And then earlier on, remember right after the emergency, there was discussion about government taking over the use of private medical facilities and hospitals for the use of treatment, vaccine, etc., etc. And, and there was some uproar for a while, some outrage for a while, but those have mostly been settled amicably between the parties. You see, Malaysia is founded on the basis of the rule of law. And I, I would say this, that you know, when we study the whole process, the law to declare emergency is a legal one. Okay, make no mistake about that. It is legal. It is constitutional. It is valid. At the same time, we also need to remember one thing because Malaysia is considered a constitutional monarchy. We have the king as a supreme leader whose power is limited by the provisions of the constitution. So, when people are studying the provision of Article 150, and this is where people have different uh, point of view, and, and some were saying that, look, that is totally the domain of the king. And it, it is really up to the king to make the declaration of emergency. Now, let me reference one case in 1968, and this is the case of Stephen Kaloningkant, case number 2, 1968. Now, this was happening during the emergency in Sarawak. And Justice Ong Hot Thai, in his dissenting judgment, he said, the king is not automatic ruler because Article 
40, part 1 of the Constitution states that the king functions upon the advice of the cabinet or the advice of the prime minister. Now, the reason I say all these things is because there is another provision, and this is going to be like the, the really the last part of the law I'm going to read to you. Constitution Article 150, Part 8. Okay, so that's related to the provision where the emergency is declared. And Part 8 states that no court can review the decision of the king pertaining to Article 150, Part 1, which is what we've been talking about, the national emergency provision. Now, interestingly, Article 150, Part 8 has never been tested in a court of law before. And opposition leader Anwar Ibrahim had filed an application for a judicial review and for clarifications of the provision of the Constitution. You see, judges cannot rule as they wish or as they want. They have to follow the provisions of the law. The challenge is where there appears to be contradictions of the law. And at that time, the judges would just have to make a determination. So, to conclude, what do we make of all these things? You know, all the things about, you know, is it the king? Is it the prime minister? I think the one point I want to make, you know, after hearing all this very technical discussion today, is that as a nation, Malaysia is a nation with many cultures, many religions, people with different backgrounds. We have to come back to the spirit of consensus. That means there is an agreement, but at the same time, it is based on the rule of law. It is based on fairness. It is based on mutual respect. And I think when we talk about emergency 2021, and I remember when it was announced on 11 January uh, 2021, of course, a day before, there was a lot of rumors circling around. I believe many people were shocked by that because there was insufficient consultation and people were not even discussing about it and everyone was like, what? What happened? And I know even political parties from the government collisions were surprised by the decision. So that's the thing. There wasn't enough consultation. There wasn't enough goodwill in terms of, let's talk about this. But then they just announced it like that. Now, interestingly, the king decreed a few days ago, just a few days ago, and, and he said this, the parliament can be reconvened subject to the advice of prime minister. So it seems to me that our king is embracing the constitutional position of Article 40, Part 1. That is, everything that he is to decree under the constitution, it has to be based on the advice of the prime minister, the cabinet, and the government of the day. So I'm interested to see if there's any traction in that and whether our Prime Minister will actually advise the king to reconvene Parliament. Okay, so that's all I want to say for today. And I know, again, a fairly technical discussion, but I hope that it has opened some of your mind and you know, perhaps encourage you to begin to just look around and, and think about the, the consequence of allowing freedom and liberty to be taken away. You know, once those are gone, it is very, very difficult to get them back. So thank you for tuning in. Until next time, bye-bye.